brought to you by Impact Alpha. Live on tape from Impact Alpha, this is Returns on Investment, a show about how capital is deployed in pursuit of social and environmental impact alongside financial returns. I'm Brian Walsh, head of Impact at the financial services firm LiquidNet. With me in New York is Imogen Rose Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hi, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And joining us from San Francisco is David Bank, editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. Hi, David. Hey, Brian. On Giving Tuesday, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and his wife Priscilla Chan announced their creation of a limited liability company, LLC, called the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, with a mission of advancing human potential and promoting equality for all children in the next generation. They are intending to place 99% of their Facebook shares into this LLC during their lifetimes. At present value, this could mean a $45 billion deployment of private resources towards the public good. Imogen, walk us through some of the reactions. So, you know, the, the media cycle to this was both interesting and a sort of classic media play-by-play. Play. The initial response was very laudatory. And then almost immediately you had the backlash. And then you had Jesse Eisinger come out and really criticize Zuckerberg saying that, you know, this was really all for him, that it was just a tax break and it wasn't really philanthropy. Now, this is Jesse Eisinger writing in ProPublica in yep. the New York Times, not Jesse Eisenberg, who I think many <laughs> people initially thought, well, the guy who played Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network movie, he's a hot take on this. But in fact, it, it was no, not it's him. No, it's the ProPublica guy. So he, he was very critical and he was sort of raising issues that you see a lot when you get large philanthropy, all the more so because Zuckerberg was doing it through an LLC rather than through the traditional foundation format. Subsequent to that, Felix Salmon, of all people, came out, Felix being a well-known blogger and Twitter presence, and criticized the criticism of Zuckerberg and actually went as far as to call Jesse Eisinger churlish for this idea that there was something insidious about the Zuckerberg's generosity. David, what's your take on this? Well, I was fascinated as... as, as as Imogen says, there's always the media spin cycle that keeps rolling. But when I first heard about this, and, and in particular the LLC, that he wasn't parking all this money in a foundation where 5% maybe would get doled out each year and the rest would sit there in a in an endowment, you know, you know, invested in who knows what, but that he was going to say all of the money was going to be, you know, deployed for mission. I thought red letter day for impact investing and then I was I was very surprised when the blowback was, you know, this is not really philanthropy. It's, you know, it's just a rich kid keeping it all for himself. So I think, you know, when all is said and done, we'll obviously have to see how it plays out, you know, where the money goes and what he spends it on and whether the investments have real impact. But when the history books write it, this will this will turn out to have been a, a turning point where billionaires say, hey, there's lots of tools we can use to make change. And, and philanthropy is one, obviously, but so is lobbying. And so are investments in private companies that are going to be doing uh, tackling big challenges and doing good things. It, I mean, it is an interesting structure. And I think it does speak to, and I think, David, you're right, and I think the mainstream press is missing this. It speaks to the failure of the foundation model to truly capture a lot of these for-profit innovations that have taken off in the last decade or so, particularly with the impact investing and the social venture movement. So obviously Zuckerberg isn't the only one doing this. The model follows 
quite closely, I think, with what Pierre Amidia did when he set up his firm and his not-for-profit. And this is Pierre Amidia of the eBay fortune who launched the Omidia Network, which is both an LLC and a traditional foundation. Exactly. And so I, I think, and Pierre Omidia has been very involved in the impact investing movement. And the whole sort of limitations around how much profit you can make in the not-for-profit sector, as well as, you know, the limitations on giving. And I think as well, you know, if you've got, 40, if you've got a foundation of $48 billion, it's got to be pretty hard to guarantee you're going to give away 5% a year especially when you have the liquidity concerns around it all being in a single stock. So I, I think that that there are a, a lot of issues around this in terms of how do we consider the for-profit and the not-for-profit world. At the same time, I mean, there's a limit to how excited you, you need to get about the structure because clearly there's only a few people who are really going to be in a position to do this, right? Bill Gates, Pierre Midia, Jeff Scholes, Zuckerberg, those sort of like billionaires where you're making money off a company and you have a large amount of capital from that company that that, that is the backbone of your giving. Now, David, do you think that uh, Zuckerberg would have faced the criticisms that he faced if he had just set up a foundation? Obviously, you get a, you know, a little halo over your head when you give it all away to a to a foundation. But as, as Imogen was saying, foundations have their own set of contradictions. I mean, Bill Gates, you know, gave, you know, has given, uh, I think the Gates Foundation's assets are now 70 billion. He didn't give it all. They made some money in the markets as well. And they got some money from uh, Warren Buffett. They struggle, frankly, to give to, to give away the, I'm not sure what the math is, but it's something like three billion, three and a half billion bucks a year. You know, you need a big infrastructure to be able to do that effectively, the Gates Foundation, you know, has a fairly big infrastructure and, they, you know, people will argue about the effectiveness of it. But they've, they've made some big bets and they've done some big things. So there is, you know, obviously a, there's some value in the foundation model, but there's value in these other models as well. The foundations, for example, have been kind of contorting themselves in pretzels to be able to start to do investments in for-profit companies. There's a structure called program-related investments. There's all kinds of restrictions in the IRS about what kinds of investments those, you know, can be. You know, all that's to the good to protect this this tax-deductible money. You know, with the, the public gave a subsidy to that money by giving them a tax deduction. So therefore, it has to be very carefully monitored. Zuckerberg doesn't need to, to go through all those hoops because he's not getting the tax deduction. So he's just saying, look, we're going to actually spend real dollars on things that we think are, are, are going to benefit future generations. At some level, you know, depending how it plays out again, that may be more generous than giving it to a philanthropy. And keep in mind that this, you know, this isn't Zuckerberg's first rodeo. He's already taken at least two tries at philanthropy with what seemed to be mixed results. So He gave $100 million to the New York public school system, and then he gave $25 billion towards Ebola. Yeah, and he also did um, he's done a fair amount of work with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation. He put almost a billion dollars uh, into into that, I think $900 million. And you can see, I mean, some of those threads come through, of interest come through in what he said he wants this LLC to do. So particularly, I think, the sort of the, the place-based investing kind of activities. So he's clearly, you know, he's being thoughtful about this. Hmm. And, you know, he got, again, there was blowback when he gave the money to the charter school initiatives in New Jersey. There's been a lot of criticism about how that played out. And there were questions about his motivations and his timing for doing that. 
And he's, you know, he... Were the questions? I know. I know there are some criticisms about the results and the outcomes, and I think that many. You know, he might even say that it was a learning experience for him, and he's learned a lot from from that traditional grant making. But what was the the questions about the timing on that? From what I recall, he did it around the time of the IPO, and there was he announced it on Oprah's show when she yeah. still had a show. And there was, you know, here was a young man suddenly making billions of dollars, and it was seen as sort of him trying to position himself as something other than just and then you had all the litigation remember around the founding of facebook and it was at the time that the movie was coming out and this is like again this is very much a page out of the bill gates playbook and you know the founding of the gates foundation coincided with a lot of criticism over bill gates and his business dealings and so there is this way in which Philanthropy is viewed by a lot of these billionaire philanthropists as also playing a public image role. And you look at, at the way in which Zuckerberg presented this. It was done on Giving Tuesday. It was done announcing the birth of his child. It's him and his wife's foundation. like Not foundation. Him and his <laughs> wife's LLC. Good point. But I don't care, right? I couldn't care less about his kid and I couldn't care less about his wife. Are and you kidding? Their photos are adorable. I'm not And I love the, a, a girl named Max. I think that's great. <laughs> her nickname is Max. Her actual name is Maxima. And it's true that she may have to see a therapist later in life to understand why her birth was the occasion for a major PR event for, for the company. But that's that's their business. But I think that that is, that, that, that is a reason for some of those negative reactions. Some of that negativity is understandable. It's not necessarily justifiable and we'll see you know how this philanthropy plays out and how how successful he is in taking on what is almost a sort of like a quasi statesman role at a certain point the interesting criticism which doesn't cut between the llc and philanthropy is the role that the new billionaires have in public policy i mean there's the from my point of view, the good billionaires and the bad billionaires, and they're sort of battling it out. You had a, a, a couple dozen of these billionaires, including Mark Zuckerberg, and including Bill Gates, um, step up at the climate talks in Paris and pledge a bunch of money to help sort of finance the innovation and research and development of the clean energy transition, you know, basically because you can't expect the U.S. Congress to put up that kind of money to, to make the climate deal work. So you've got these billionaires taking that on as a private commitment. Um, and then the other hand, you know, you got the Koch brothers and those kind of folks, you know, bankrolling political candidates. So it's really a battle of the billionaires. That's, I think, what's the, what, what's a really interesting story that's developed. Yeah, I think that's the underlying critique that's driving some of these other questions about is this a tax dodge and all these other uh, concerns that people have. I think that underlying that is the sense that we have such concentration of wealth of extreme and extraordinary wealth in the hands of a few private individuals. And so I think there's an, a reaction. You're seeing a reaction about that. And people will, will kind of um, cloud that reaction in a criticism of the LLC as a tax dodge. But I, I think it's more of this underlying concern of how did so much wealth get concentrated in, in just a few people's hands. But I do think, though, that as far as the, the vehicle that he's using, I think it's very interesting. It's a very fascinating vehicle. And I think that as a trendsetter, uh, in Silicon Valley, and Silicon Valley is uh, a relationship uh, community where, where people do respond to their peers. I, I think this you're going to see the next generation of philanthropists setting up LLCs as opposed to foundations. Well, I mean, you have to like think of everything as high school, right? 
And this is like the billionaire's high school. And this is the billionaire's playground. And Bill Gates is the coolest kid in the billionaire's playground. And Zuckerberg is following, as I said, the Bill Gates playbook. And yes, you're going to see other people follow this same model, assuming that, that he is successful and continues to be perceived of as one of the core kids. But the, what's interesting about, uh, you know, I think he's learned some lessons from Bill Gates. And, and you know, he isn't waiting uh, until his mid to late 40s to start his philanthropy. Uh, he, he's doing this at age 31. I, I mean, I think it's more than learning lessons. I mean, all these guys are in the giving pledge together, right? Like, they, they are actively sharing knowledge and information and seeking to sort of play this leadership role together. And I think, you know, you're absolutely right that there is there are questions and discomfort around sort of this philanthropy economy that we are sort of moving into, have already moved into. And David is also right that the political side of this is another really important part of it, because one of the things that these guys have realized is you're playing in the philanthropy space, you're playing in the for-profit space, and you're paying in, playing in the political space, and all of these are part of the same world. And you're also playing in the impact space. Which is part of the same thing. If only we had an open source database called Impact Space that covered all the companies, funds, and transactions in the impact investing marketplace. David, do you think that's a good idea? I do think that's a good idea, and I think that that might show that there's actually alpha opportunities in impact, uh, and the alpha in that in impact is is both on the impact side and on the financial side, and that's part of the reason for for an LLC that there you know part of this is to say, hey, there are big big challenges around the world that we need to really mobilize all the tools to tackle. Now, again, assuming you know good faith and and good intentions. You know, the kinds of things you can do with an LLC is just much, much more flexible than what you can do with the philanthropy. And if you kiss off the tax break and say, we're just going to fund it because it's the right thing to do, you have the, all these tools at your disposal. I would counsel against just completely writing the foundation model off because I think, you know, there are still a lot of foundations out there. And foundations can do a better job of adapting themselves to a whatever you want to call it a modern economy so um, if you look at what the heron foundation is doing for example they have fully aligned their mission with the, both their investment portfolio and their philanthropy portfolio and integrated the two and clara miller who is the ceo of the foundation and an absolute rock star just put out an essay sort of talking through exactly these issues and how it is they're trying to what she's calling break out of the terrarium and engage more with the world as they give away both give away their money and invest their money. And as Paula Goldman from Omidyar, uh, the Omidyar Network said that th their approach is problem first, tool second. And so they really think about, you know, what is the problem they're trying to solve? And then how best can they solve that, whether that tool is a philanthropic grant, an advocacy effort, or an investment in a for-profit company? And I think that that flexibility uh, is, is what the Chan Zuckerberg initiative is really going for. But what I'm saying is, is the flexibility doesn't just have to be a structural flexibility. It needs to be an intellectual flexibility, right? So if you look at something like the Ford Foundation, there's no reason why the Ford Foundation has to be so binary. It's just that intellectually 
it is not in a position where it has made the decision to open up. And I, so I think that just to say, well, hey, the LLC structure is the way to go, limits the conversation. Well, just to just to put a point on that, because you mentioned the Ford Foundation, Darren Walker, the president there, has just said that they're going to consider the, the investing out of the endowment or, uh, in what is called mission-related investing or mission-driven investing. Um, and so these winds of, of change are blowing through even the, the old guard foundations. And I, I totally agree that there's plenty of innovation um, within each of these structures as well as between the structures. The other point, though, that's important to make just for the record is while he pledged 99% over time, and we have no idea where Facebook stock will be when, when that day comes, all he really committed to, um, and again, as a ceiling, was was to no more than a billion dollars will be of Facebook shares will be sold or given away per year for the next three years. So, you know, while $45 billion made the headlines, we're really talking about a billion dollars a year maximum, at least for the next three years. Right. And and so just to the back to the the media cycle on this the initial 45 billion dollars to head uh, to charity headline uh, were a little bit misleading <laughs> instead it, but 45 billion dollars to charity makes it for a, a sexier headline than California couple creates LLC well I went back and because I, I was sort of interested in where this all went awry and I, and I, I reread the letter which is quite a you know quite a good and thoughtful letter but he does use the verb giving which I think is what, you know, a, a reporter, you know, quickly scanning it, grabbed onto. And so it became that he's giving $45 billion away when, as you say, he's in fact, you know, creating an LLC with something less than a billion dollars a year. I, I would say also just, to, just to, to bear that out is that that letter is definitely worth reading. And it's not just for this headline about the LLC and the $45 billion. Um, there's a lot of very thoughtful thinking in there about, you know, what, kinds of world they want their daughter to grow up in. So Yeah, I mean, he talks about making long-term investments over 25, 50, or even 100 years. He talks about engaging directly with the people they serve. He talks about building technology to make change. He talks about participating in policy and advocacy debates. He talks about uh, backing the strongest and most independent leaders in each field. And he talks about taking risks. And I think that's that's actually, it seems like he has summed up all of the, the lessons learned about how to be the most effective at philanthropy and change-making from all of the leaders of the past 15, 20 years in the social sector. And I think that he's kind of crystallized his thinking into a really powerful vehicle that is too early to say whether or not it's successful, but I think just as a starting point, it's uh, set up in a way that I think will position it for, for outsized impact in the years to come. Well said. I agree. All right, well, thank you, Imogen Rose Smith of Institutional Investor Magazine and David Bank the editor and CEO of Impact Alpha. I'm Brian Walsh from Liquinet. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Returns on Investment from Impact Alpha. For more coverage on the impact investing marketplace, please visit impactalpha.com. And be sure to follow us at Impact Alpha on Twitter. Special thanks to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. For Imogen and David, I'm Brian Walsh. Until next time, this has been Returns on Investment.